Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. Well, I was just about to start recording and I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to go get some lunch first before I record. So I stepped away from my computer for a couple of minutes and I come back to find that Google just announced not one, but two core updates coming out soon. I'm recording this on Wednesday, June 2nd, although we don't release podcast until the next day. So by now, as you're listening to this, we've had a core update. It's the first one since December 3rd of 2020, and six months is a long time to go between core updates. I'll share with you what Google has told us so far about this update, but we really don't know too much so far as it was just announced today. I have to tell you that next week you will not hear from me about this update because I'm actually taking the week off. <laughs> Lily Ray tweeted a very scientific flowchart today to help you determine whether there's going to be a Google update. <laughs> she said, first, is Marie Haynes on vacation? Because when I go on vacation, Google updates. And if the answer is no, then there's no Google update. <laughs> Second, are Glenn Gabe, Marie Haynes, and or Lily Ray about to do an SEO conference presentation about Google updates within the next few days? And if the answer is yes to that, then yeah, probably there's going to be an update. <laughs> Too funny. I, I really don't think that Google plans their update schedule around our speaking engagements and vacations. I think it just means we're probably doing too much speaking and vacationing. <laughs> but I am taking off next week. There will be no podcast episode, although I'm not really going on vacation. I'm going to spend the week doing some gardening, playing Fortnite, spending time with my girls as they just announced today that they're not going back to school in Ontario until next fall at the earliest. So we get to enjoy online school for a while longer. There will be a newsletter episode next week, though, and although you won't see my analysis of what's happened with the update so far, my team's going to be sharing what they're seeing uh, across the industry in chatter uh, and also possibly across what our clients are seeing as well, although we may save that to a bit later. I think it's actually a good thing that I'm off next week because you can learn so much more from analyzing an update when you actually let it sit for a while. Um, so I know what I'm going to be doing when I get back to work. <laughs> and as I learn about what types of content are performing well with this update, I'm going to share as much as I can with you in future podcast episodes as well. So I was going to start this episode off by saying that for the first time in months, we actually haven't had a significant Google update to talk about. We possibly had uh, some significant turbulence maybe on May 29th, but really the changes that we saw, they weren't across that many sites. The last time we had one of these, and we've been calling them suspicious shifts or dates of increased turbulence across the board in Google results was May 22nd. I talked about this last week, how most of the algo weather tools were much higher than we've seen in a very long time. And it looked like May 22nd was really a massive update. I do think that May 22nd was another one of these dates on which we saw Google change something. You know, there was some kind of shift in, in a lot of rankings, but it doesn't look anything more significant to me than other dates we've noted since January of this year. Uh, if you're new to podcast, we have all of these dates documented at mariehaines.com slash algo. Uh, anytime we think, oh, I think Google updated something and, and maybe if we can determine what the reason was 
was for that update. Uh, we theorize about that in this blog post. Well, it possibly looks like maybe May 29th was one of these dates, uh, but this was a long weekend in Canada. Uh, we have our long weekend uh, one week before the United States in May. And um, I don't know, really, we only have a few clients seeing changes on that date. So I actually think Google didn't push out anything terribly significant last week. So when I tweeted about this, several of you responded to me saying, this must be the calm before the storm. And turns out you're right. So let's talk about this core update. At around 1.30 p.m. Eastern on June 2nd, Google search liaison account, which is Danny Sullivan, tweeted, Later today, we are releasing a broad core update, as we do several times per year. It is called the June 2021 core update. Our guidance about it, uh, our guidance about such updates is here. And then they link to my favorite post that Google has produced, Google's blog post on what webmasters need to know about core updates. Danny Sullivan goes on to say, some of our planned improvements for the June 2021 update aren't quite ready. So we're moving ahead with the parts that are, then we will follow with the rest with the July 2021 update. Most sites won't notice either of these updates as is typical with any core updates. Now that's likely true. With most core updates, most sites do not see much of an effect, but if you're affected, it generally tends to be quite strong. My thought is that for the last few years, most core updates, if not all of them, have been primarily about EAT, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness, and also Google getting better at understanding whether a searcher's needs have been met. That last bit is becoming more and more important. It wouldn't surprise me if we find that sites that do well after this June 2021 core update are ones that really do a good job at fully meeting the needs of searchers. I'm going to share more about this uh, a little bit later in this podcast episode. So Danny goes on to say on Twitter, of course, any core update can produce drops or gains for some types of content. Because of the two-part nature of this release, it's possible a very small slice of content might see changes in June that reverse in July. Now that's really interesting. I seem to recall at some point, a Google employee said that it was quite rare for them to roll back an update. I don't think it's something that happens often. I don't think what Danny's saying here is they're going to roll back an update, but if you see changes in June, they might be reversed in July. I wonder what it is that Google's releasing that'll cause sites to see changes in June that could reverse in July. I think analyzing this is going to be very, very interesting. So Danny finished his tweet thread by saying, as a reminder, nothing in a core update is site specific. Those who seek to perform well with search generally, including with core updates, should look to our guidance here. And once again, he links to Google's blog post on core updates. So at this point, there's not a whole lot to say other than we know Google released an update on Wednesday of this week, a core update. Uh, I don't think they've said how long it takes for this update to roll out uh, as of yet, but in general, it's usually one to two weeks. Although in most cases, in my experience, if you're going to be affected by a core update, you notice the effects within 24 hours. We do see some sites where you notice a slight decline or increase is starting to happen within 24 hours. 
And then those changes continue to to go on in that same direction in the next following couple of weeks or so. But in most cases, when we've had a core update, the changes that we see in analytics are very obviously starting within 24 hours of the release of the update. Uh, most of them are like that. So we'll see if this one's the same. If you were negatively affected by a past core update, then Google has said that you likely will not see a full recovery even if you've been implementing changes to improve your quality until they run another core update. Now, this is generally the case in my experience as well, although Glenn Gape shared some cases of sites that were hit by the December core update that saw massive improvements with the product reviews update, which was early April and was not a core update. That, that one was a little unusual though. The, the point that I'm trying to make here is if you've been making quality improvements, if you've been trying to improve how you demonstrate expertise on your website, if you've been getting mentions in authoritative places, but nothing seems to be moving the needle, then you might find that after this update, all of a sudden your efforts are being recognized and rewarded. Hopefully that's the case for some of you. If you do get negatively affected by this update, you'll hear people quote Google from a couple of years ago when they published this blog post saying that there's nothing you can do in terms of recovery. This is only a partial quote and it's, it's taken out of context. What Google's blog post actually says is this, I'm going to read it directly. Some sites may note drops or gains during them, them being core updates. We know those with sites that experience drops will be looking for a fix and we want to ensure that they don't try to fix the wrong things. Moreover, and this is the part that everybody quotes, there might not be anything to fix at all. And for some sites that are hit by a core update, there isn't anything to fix. We've seen cases where businesses have lost, you know, maybe 20 to 30% of their traffic. But when we look at that traffic, it was non-converting traffic that really wasn't terribly relevant. Sometimes when you see a decline in rankings or traffic, it's not always a bad thing. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to make changes on your website. But after this statement, the rest of the blog post gives very specific advice on what you should do if you were impacted by a core update. It blows my mind that there are SEOs who either have not read this blog post or haven't paid any attention to it. This is not just the old create great content kind of fluff we used to get from Google. So if you do get negatively affected by this update, there are things you can do. While not all sites can recover from a core update hit, many of them do. You're unlikely to find a single smoking gun though. It's, it's not like you can file a disavow and you'll recover or add some internal linking and you're going to recover or fix some kind of technical problem and you'll recover from a core update hit. But if bit by bit you work on improving your site's quality based on Google's blog post that I just talked about, then we've seen fantastic improvements in clients of ours that do this. John Mueller shared in a help hangout this week that if you're seeing a strong change across a larger part of your website within a short period of time, then quote, that doesn't feel like it would be related to something technical on the page. Of course, if you, I mean, if you've accidentally no index part of your site or something silly like that, well, yes, that can cause significant changes. But the point that I'm trying to get at here is that if you're seeing declining rankings, the answer is probably not in technical fixes. 
John went on in that hangout to say, quote, it sounds more like maybe a quality change where our algorithms are kind of reevaluating the quality of your website. I'm going to talk a little bit more on that in a second. That's all I'm going to say right now about the core update. When I'm back with another episode in two weeks from now, I'll give you my thoughts on what I've seen across our client database and the industry as well, what everybody's saying uh, in the industry, chatter on the update. Um, I'm sure we're going to be talking about this for quite a long time. I wanted to shift gears though and talk about something, although these are very closely related probably, talk about something that Glenn Gabe tweeted where he stumbled across a test that Google was running where search results were showing something called also on this page. So initially when I read this, I had skimmed over it at first, but when I read it in the newsletter just before uh, we were about to publish, it struck me how interesting this is. So Glenn did a search for how much do braces cost? And Google returned a featured snippet with a line underneath that said, also covered on this page, and then they display uh, links to three topics also covered on this page. The topics were, are braces more expensive for adults? Do all braces cost the same? And how much are braces in NY, New York? When I saw this, I assumed that those were jump links to headings on the page, but they're not. If you look at that page, so, so Google says covered on this page is, for example, how much are braces in New York? That phrase is not on this page at all. So let's say this page belonged to a client of ours and we wanted to rank highly for people who are searching for how much are braces in New York? Well, generally what we'd recommend as good SEO advice is to create a heading that says, how much do braces cost in New York? And we'd recommend that your first paragraph starts with something that's very easy for search engines to understand that, you know, this sentence understands this, or this sentence answers this question. So we'd probably start the first paragraph of that section with something like braces in New York generally cost about this much. The, the, the only part of that actual page that answers this question says this, with an annual premium of $123 in New York City, you would pay $2,300 for children and $2,500 for adult braces. Now, for you and me who think as humans, we can understand that, yeah, that kind of answers the question of how much braces are likely to cost in New York. But what blows my mind is that a machine could take that sentence and understand that it answers the question, how much are braces in New York? I tweeted about this and Praveen Sharma replied saying, that shows how smart Google's getting at understanding the context and meaning of the written content. And I agree. It might be obvious to us that this piece of text answers this question, but I think the fact that Google could populate the question and the answer from text where neither the question nor the answer were incredibly clear is actually quite amazing. So what does that mean to us as SEOs? I think that Google understanding content better makes SEO both harder and easier. It's harder because it's much more challenging now to reverse engineer Google's algorithms. I think as SEOs, we have little rules in our head that we assume Google follows. If I put keywords in my title tag, I'm more likely to rank well. If I get links, I'm more likely to rank well. If I improve the speed at which pages load, 
probably I'm more likely to rank well. These are all simple rules that as SEOs, we, we use those and we turn them into a checklist and we say, yeah, yeah. If you check all these boxes, Google will think that your content is high quality and you're more likely to rank highly. And I think that it's very hard for a lot of us to grasp the idea that algorithms are starting to understand whether content itself is good and helpful. And these algorithms are far more sophisticated than we've seen in the past. I said that SEO might be getting a little easier uh, because of this. And I think it's easier if you actually are doing SEO for a company that legitimately is an authority, legitimately does have firsthand expertise and already does have good content. If you're doing SEO for that type of business, you're likely to be seeing some success in the future. I saw a discussion on Twitter this week where SEOs were arguing that content was not a ranking factor. One person said that they didn't think that content was a ranking factor, but what was more important was whether Google could match queries to keywords. See, I think that most of us can grasp that machines can only do so much. And so far, our knowledge of how or even whether Google understands content probably is very limited. I think that what this person is trying to say is that they believe that Google's algorithms can look at queries and say, ah, this keyword or this query is on the page and there are related words on this page and Google can get a sense of relevancy by doing this, but they don't actually believe that Google's able to understand the context of those words and whether the actual content itself is high quality. Uh, another SEO put it this way uh, on Twitter, search fundamentally works based on a reverse index that matches words in the query to words in the corpus. In other words, we can grasp that Google's algorithms can recognize, ah, the searcher ser searched for this word, and this word is very relevant to this piece of content. And so this content must be relevant to this search. We can grasp that machines can match keywords to content to help determine relevancy. Now, another person in this discussion said, wait, are you telling us that's, that you score content, you being Google, that you score content as a part of ranking factors? Because that would be new and interesting. Well, this blows my mind because Google's got a whole blog post, the one I keep talking about, the one I keep harping on, on what we need to know about core updates, where they specifically say to focus on content. I don't think this is just fluff. I don't think this is the old days of create great content and good things will happen. They're giving very, very specific things that Google wants to value in content. My SMX talk, which is, it's coming up in a couple of weeks. It talks specifically about this. The more Google learns to understand language, the more they're going to understand whether our content is the best of its kind at meeting a searcher's needs. And this is why so many SEOs, I believe are too fixed on link building. Let me explain that because link building makes sense. If you believe that Google can't understand whether your content actually is high quality. When we build links, we're trying to convince Google's algorithms that others are saying that our content is worthy of recommending that others are saying this is high quality content. So let, let me try to explain this more. It's a bit of a rabbit trail, but I think, I think it'll help me get my point across. Let's say 
that both you and I write an article about chocolate toxicity in dogs. As an SEO, you could probably write a very good article about what people need to know about dogs and chocolate. Or you could hire a content writer who could research and then write a very good article on this subject. That person would do a bunch of research and they'd put together a very well-structured and very factual article. And if that person's a really good SEO, or if you're a good SEO, you're going to have headings that are based on keyword research. And those headings would be followed with paragraphs that are crafted in a way to win a featured snippet. And then internal linking would be done to help this post rank better as well. And I bet you that if you asked an SEO to look at the article that you've written, they would call it very high quality content. Now let's imagine that I didn't start an SEO agency. I'm not an SEO. Let's imagine that I stayed in my career as a veterinarian and I decided to write a blog post on chocolate toxicity in dogs. If I, as a veterinarian wrote this article without having as much SEO knowledge as you do, it's not going to be well-structured and it's not going to be perfectly crafted for featured snippets. And I certainly didn't add any schema to this article. I probably didn't link internally from other posts. So if you asked SEOs to look at my content, they'd probably say that it's not as high quality in uh, content as compared to yours. So let's say that both you and I publish these articles. And for the sake of simplicity, let's say that Google had to decide just between our two articles, which one to rank if a searcher typed in chocolate toxicity in dogs. If Google's decision was based on things that we know are ranking factors, things that we know a machine could measure, like say page speed or optimal internal linking or optimal use of keywords and synonyms of keywords, then your page is going to win 100% of the time. And even if you weren't winning, your next step as an SEO, trying to game Google's algorithms, would be to start building links. We do that to improve the page rank of that page. And we do that with the hopes that this sends a message to Google to say, hey, tons of people are recommending our content and therefore it must be high quality content. But in this whole discussion, we've missed something really important here. I haven't talked one bit about the actual content that's on this page. Your page is probably very complete. I bet it tells me the definition of chocolate toxicity and how many milligrams per kilogram or pound of, of theobromine needs to be ingested to, to be concerned. And you've probably got a list of symptoms to look for. And I bet your page probably explains what your vet would be likely to do should you seek emergency treatment. But now let's look at this from the searcher's perspective. So take off your SEO hat and imagine that you just got home and you open the door to find a massive ripped up chocolate bar wrapper <laughs> and your dog looks super guilty. So you go to Google and you search for chocolate toxicity in dogs, or my dog ate chocolate. Should I be concerned or whatever? You're trying to find out whether you need to be concerned by the fact that your dog ate chocolate. The article that I just described that has everything you need to know on chocolate toxicity in dogs. That's not what you're looking for. You want to find very quickly. You don't want to know the whole history of chocolate toxicity. I mean, it might be helpful but that's not what you're looking for. I would imagine 
Now let's talk about the content in the article that I would write on that subject. Me again, pretending that I have no SEO experience. I'm writing as a veterinarian who wants to teach people about chocolate toxicity because I have real life experience in this area. I know exactly what kind of questions my customers, my clients are going to ask about this. I know that what they really want to know is my dog ate this much of this kind of chocolate and I don't know whether he's going to die whether I need an emergency visit or whether I can just watch him and hope that the worst that happens is diarrhea. So my article would start off by saying that the vast majority of the time when people called me out on emergency visits for chocolate toxicity, it actually was unnecessary. Most of the chocolate that we eat, at least in Canada and the U.S., as far as I know, really is just sugar and a tiny bit of chocolate. And even if, if dogs eat that, they might get a bit of stomach upset, but they're not going to die. And then I'd describe some of the types of chocolate that actually do contain enough theobromine to cause problems. And my article would probably go into more details about the types of symptoms that are common and I'd probably describe a couple of actual cases that I've seen. I'd probably end with the type of standard advice that I'd give you if you called me as a veterinarian in the middle of the night asking whether it was worth an emergency visit to see your dog. If you're seeing this and this and this, then yeah, you should come in right now or be on the look lookout for these symptoms which indicate a more serious issue. Now, for the searcher who just wants to know very quickly, do I need an emergency vet visit? They don't care about page speed. I mean, to some degree they do. If your page is loading really slowly, then that could be an issue, but they don't care about whether you've linked internally properly. To some degree, headings matter. It helps people to skim, but what matters to the searcher is that they can quickly find the answer they're looking for from a source that they know that they can trust. Now, I'm not saying that my article with very little structure and no internal links um, and maybe no external links is suddenly going to be ranking number one for chocolate toxicity. But I am saying that I believe that Google is starting to recognize more and more when the content itself is a good fit for the user's needs, the searcher's needs. A well-structured, well-SEO'd article on chocolate toxicity that has had link building done for it might not be a better fit for searchers' needs than an article written by an actual veterinarian that shares real-life expertise. This idea of meeting the needs of searchers, it's going to be a very hard concept for many of us to understand. The most recent version of the quality raters guidelines, which was updated last publicly, at least in October of 2020, had a very strong focus on uh, helping the raters understand needs met. Google added several new examples and they give loads of instructions to teach the quality raters how to assess whether content actually meets the needs of searchers. In my talk, uh, I'm going to share uh, some online discussions of people who tried to pass the exam that you need to take to become a Google quality rater, and they weren't able to pass the third section, which is all about needs met. It's a really hard concept to grasp. I want to read to you the actual section from the quality raters guidelines called fully meets in terms of needs met. The raters are given a slider called needs met on every page that they assess. And they need to, they need to determine whether this page is likely to fully meet the needs of searchers who have arrived and they're often given a query as well. So if a searcher types in this query 
and lands on this page, does it fully meet their needs? The choices that the Raiders have are these, fully meets, highly meets, moderately meets, slightly meets, or fails to meet. Our goal as SEOs should be to create content that searchers would say fully meets their needs. At, in, in some podcast episode in the last few weeks, I talked about how I bought a lawnmower recently, and I shared an example of a review article about a particular brand of lawnmower that I wanted to buy that was so extremely helpful because it didn't just curate information from reviews around the web, but rather it told me with firsthand experience, this is how long the battery charge lasts, and oh, we found the grip really easy to grasp, and here's something else that we found super useful, and here are the negatives about this lawnmower. And essentially, when I read this review post on this particular type of lawnmower, my thought was, I don't need to read anything else on this subject. This one article answered all of my questions, my important questions, very quickly. Well, here's how the Quality Raiders guidelines describe content that fully meets the needs of searchers. Quote, all or almost all users would be completely satisfied by the result. Users issuing that query would not need additional results to fully satisfy the user intent. And it goes on to say, in other words, the fully meets rating should be reserved for results that are the complete and perfect response or answer so that no other results are necessary for all or almost all users to be fully satisfied. So that article about the lawnmower fully met my needs as a searcher who was trying to decide whether to buy it. It answered the questions important to me. And it did so in a way that was easy for me to skim and digest. Our goals as SEOs who are advising on content creation should be to produce content where users will have no need to go to another source and do this in a way, and, and this is the really tricky part, where users can recognize really quickly that this page is the answer for their question. So my prediction about this core update that we're going to be talking about for months probably is that it will be promoting content that fully meets the needs of searchers. We should still be working on improving our core web vitals, which by the way, that update happens at some point in June as well. <laughs> and we should always be working on improving the technical quality of our site as much as we can. But if you're not faring well with recent Google updates, the issue is likely related to Google better understanding which content is fully meeting the needs of searchers. What I'd encourage you to do if you've lost ranking positions for keywords, either with this core update or if it's been happening with recent mini updates or whatever these recent changes are that we've been seeing since January of this year, is to really critically look at the pages that are ranking for the queries that you want to rank for and ask yourself, why are they different than yours? And could that be something that's good for searchers? We see a lot of pages that win these days uh, that have a table of contents or a bulleted list at the top. Well, I don't think Google has a line in their algorithms that says a bulleted list is a sign of high quality, but I do think that searchers can look at a bulleted list and say, ah, this page has the answers to my question. And Google wants to rank pages that quickly meet searchers' needs. 
Well, folks, we've got a lot more cool stuff to talk about in uh, newsletter this week. I'm going to save a lot of this for newsletter as my goal has been not to be so long-winded in podcast. I want to share with you my thoughts on what Google's algorithms are doing, uh, but also there's much, much more that's been going on in SEO this week. Uh, I see we've got changes to how rich results are measured in Search Console. We've got info on how Google fought spam this year. They've handed out far fewer manual actions this year, 2.9 million, still a very large number. I think this reduction likely reflects the fact that Google's able to recognize a lot of spam uh, algorithmically now, and they don't need to step in and administer a manual action. They can just ignore many attempts at ranking manipulation. We've also got a bit of discussion on whether the Google sandbox actually exists or the Google honeymoon period, uh, and also good information on whether Google likes to see followed links when you're listing citations and references. I'll tell you the answer there is yes. Uh, this is, I didn't say at the top here, this is episode number 186 of search news you can use if you're trying to find that, again, mariehaines.com slash newsletter. So tomorrow I'm doing a talk, a presentation for a client of ours, presenting uh, our site review to their team. I, I really love doing stuff like this, although doing them over Zoom is always way less fun than in person. Still, I, I think it's going to be good. And then I'm going to be for the next couple of days tying up some loose administrative ends before I disconnect the following week. So I might not be too active on Twitter for the next little while, which I know could be a little disappointing given that uh, we've just had a core update, but I will see you in two weeks and I'll give you my thoughts on everything uh, that I have seen happen with the core update once I get back into my office then. I really hope the core update treats you well and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. 